0: Hello and welcome to Copebytes, sponsored by Search 5.0. I'm your host, Stephen Turkington, and on today's episode, very pleased to welcome Raf Estrada, Head of Engineering at Nori, to the podcast. Copytes was formed to create an accessible pool of mentors as still to this day. We hear of so many aspiring technologists without that go-to within their career. On this episode, we get a chance to delve into Raf's journey into technology and how an environment built on trust and ownership helped him flourish in his earlier days. Raf also shares uh, advice on AI and, and also the importance of transferable skills into technology. This is a really good conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Raf, a very warm welcome to Codebytes.
1: Thanks a lot, Stephen. It is lovely to be here.
0: Great to have you, Raf. And I know how you're busy uh, you are as well. A lots of good stuff happening, even since our last conversation. And congrats on KPMG's Global Tech Innovator. Uh, it's great news.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. It's all very exciting. Things are moving very quickly at Nori at the moment.
0: Yeah, and shaped up to a good global final uh, there in uh, in Lisbon, Raf. So, Ralph, as a means of an introduction, I'd love for you to kick things off and give our audience uh, an overview of, of your career and, and what that looks like.
1: Yeah, happy to do so. Um, so my career and what it looks like, um, my entrance into tech wasn't really an obvious one earlier on, so I kind of accidentally ended up in tech more so than it was like a big plan. Um, um, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, like many others, like in the golden age of video games, and my my interest in computers kind of stopped there like I was very into video games and all that but more as a consumer and as like a creator of technology things and that's how it's been for most of the time Um, I spent some time studying business actually so like in in Germany where I grew up the educational system you specialize sometimes like pretty early and I was specialized in like this business branch and uh, never really had like made an effort to get into a creative space as much as I would have wanted to Uh, that happened a bit later when I realized like when you're When you're actually studying business, which I did for a few semesters, I took it to that point. I actually just realized my heart wasn't in it and you can't really just get by anymore at university. You have to actually put the work in and uh, I didn't really love it. So I couldn't do that. And I dropped out um, and after like a year or two of soul searching and playing in a band and all this stuff, I realized like this creative um, streak that I've always had, I really wanted to just like commit to that and uh, kind of pivoted into a totally different area. And there's basically a program that I got into called multimedia, which is like this 50-50 mix of communications design and computer science, and I went in there for the design. I didn't really think much about the computer science part, but then I came out actually the other way around, realizing I wasn't, you know, as good at the design as most other people there were, but I was actually pretty good and really loved the computer side of it. And that put me on this track uh, to this day where I just ended up, you know, making, having a degree in computer science, getting into the industry. And going through different like companies in Germany and then later on here in Ireland as well. So my that 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 moment for me just totally put me in a different direction than I never really anticipated.
0: Oh, as so well here and how, just the different pathways that our guests get into technology. You know that it's not the linear, it's, it's not the traditional way. The fact that you kind of maybe tried something else, figure out it doesn't work, you don't like it, and how you're able to then embed yourself in the world of of technology. uh so it's always. It's always good to hear this and um, these types of stories. And for those that aren't aware of the likes of Nori, you know, for instance, because you came from probably working with a mixture of large organizations to smaller scale up organizations. Rath, do you want to just give us a, a quick synopsis of that and where you are today with uh, with Nori and perhaps who Nori are?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I think uh, after after college, I got into in my area where I used to live in Germany, there weren't that many, like it wasn't known to be a big software development area. And there was a very big um, employer called Dative in the area who do like tax consultancy, lawyer type software. So I got a job in there and that's kind of where it started. It's a very conservative business, obviously. This was still at the time when software was pressed on CDs and shipped in the post. Uh, so, you know, it was a very different type, age of software development too. Uh, that's kind of where I got in. And I think even though I've, I've touched on various industries over time, my my path did eventually go from like bigger, more conservative organizations towards like smaller, scrappier ones to the point of where I am now at Nori, uh, which is just 30 people, like basically the whole business, including the CEO, which is rather small compared to all the others that I would have been at before. Um, That's, I think it's mostly driven by, and maybe other people experience this as well, but like my, my drive to go to smaller organizations was just like, I like the blank canvas kind of, that you have when there's just less defined structure um being able to help put that structure into place is very exciting for me and that was like I think my main driver over time even though I wouldn't have articulated it that way early on uh, I think that was what was attracting me more and more to the what essentially is Nori now Um, Nori is um essentially an intelligent co-pilot for hospitality businesses is how we describe it Um, it's uh for operators of hospitality business and restaurant chains and kind of combines a lot of the core workflows operators have to like perform throughout the business um, and then, with a lot of, like trying to help the decision making be a little more decentralized and efficient, uh, or like these businesses just being more efficient and being able to save a lot of money in the process as well. Uh, so that's what Nori really is. It's, um, it's geared at like a variety of hospitality business, largely restaurants and bars and cafes, but you know, can find application in different kind of places. Brilliant,
0: brilliant. Right. And it's interesting actually. Did you could say about working from larger organizations and then just? jumping into the world of the startup and um, scale-up because it is completely different. We're perhaps going to see some engineers struggle, you know, where they're kind of relying on that many dependencies and maybe it's not the right fit and move for them, but it takes a certain amount of human and soft skill, doesn't it, to be able to adapt and thrive in in the life of a startup?
1: Yes, that is true. I think that's probably the most defining thing of being in, in a startup of, I guess, any stage. Is The earlier you get, the less the path is clear and you have to be comfortable with those unknowns. And that's basically the opposite of what you get. Coming out of college for one, the college is generally very structured, right? You have your courses, you have your tests, you have your programming material, like people give it to you basically. Uh, So, and that while that's valuable, it doesn't really teach people how to cope with the, like how do you, how to go about it, like your methodology or strategy, none of that really is there. And that for me was a big shock coming into the industry, just how different the real world is from what you learn in college. But then that also differs, like bigger organizations tend to already have mature process, right? Like they have HR teams and recruiting teams and like all of that is there. So you can usually slot in to a more or less well-functioning system. But if you go into smaller companies, it's it's just like a lot of it is just not there, right? Um, so you have to really be comfortable with that. That blank canvas can be terrifying and exciting at the same time. It's like looking at a blank page when you're trying to write a doc or something. Yeah. Where do you start, right? It's, it's very similar to that
0: absolutely absolutely raf and if you were to reflect back in your career today raf i mean has there has there been a, a defining moment for you
1: a defining moment i mean there were probably many um but the one that comes to mind whenever i think about this is um, my time at a company called intercom here in dublin um it wasn't one moment i'd say like there were probably many but that time there was quite transformative for how i Thought about myself, like as an engineer, about how companies work, Um, you know, just I, I learned a lot of things there. I relearned a lot of things, which I thought I knew before when going in. I feel like I came out of that time as a better engineer than when I went in, which um, I'm quite like, I, w- I would be very proud if I could create an organization like that in the future where people can say that of it. So that to me, that's like really high praise and uh, definitely left the mark on me, yeah.
0: what was it about that particular opportunity and culture raf that made you come out the other side a better engineer better more well equipped person
1: uh, it's a good question i think it was ultimately they have a very strong culture of ownership there and they're not the only ones who do this but for me it was a pretty new experience so as i said coming from bigger organizations where you know trust isn't as like prominent a thing as you would want it to be when you're in your smaller organization And intercom took this very seriously uh you you owned your problems and your work right and uh you, you were empowered to have a say in how things are done and also like really have to have the responsibility of having to carry your work over the line in a way that I wasn't really used to before. And to me, that was a little bit jarring at first. Um, just like just knowing how to code or like knowing the right way to do X wasn't enough. You have to actually execute it. You have to actually do it and get it through. And it might sound so obvious when I put it that way, but uh, it was a very different environment in that way. And the, um, Just the speed at which the company moved at the time, and I think still do today, um, was also a bit terrifying, uh, especially like before Intercom, I was at Intel, which is like the polar opposite, right? A very large organization, obviously much more bureaucracy uh, bureaucracy and politics in place. And maybe the culture shock kind of contributed to this a little bit between one and the other, but like Intercom definitely um, retaught me how Agile, for instance, works. Like everyone says they're Agile, everyone's read the books, but... That was the first time I actually saw like a really high funk, like high- highly performing, agile team, and it looked nothing like what the books told me. It just looked so different, you know. And it, it initially it just it was very confusing until I really understood that like agile is not a formula, right? It's not a not a recipe. Uh, it's in, in in at Intercom, they just really thought a lot about like how they worked and why, and thought about the why a lot. And that resulted in a pretty efficient way of like going about things, which again was very surprising to me in the moment, but in hindsight might seem pretty clear and obvious.
0: Brilliant! So a beautiful blend about knowing your why uh, and giving autonomy and uh, and ownership, and obviously you can evolve, you know, from from both of those combined. Uh, Raf, which is which is great. And listen, I mean, Co- Cobites was formed to create an accessible pool of mentors. Uh, Raf, I'm keen to learn what's your relationship with mentorship and if you had a mentor or or perhaps a mentee in your career?
1: Yes. Well, I certainly have. I think that's the answer to that question. Definitely both. Um, initially I would have said, I probably had a lot more mentors and mentees. I don't know how important terminology is here. I like to think about words. Uh, so for me, um, like mentoring is usually pretty specific to like a certain kind of problem that someone might be having and you're kind of trying to help them solve that specific problem. And I think that's something we all do, hopefully. If we're on a team, like everyone kind of mentors everyone in that way. So I would have certainly been on both ends of that a little bit. Um, I guess it becomes a little more like the, the kind of mentoring and problems you're talking about changes over time. Or for me, it changed throughout my career. And I've much more intentionally had to create a network of people who I can just regularly talk to Um, more and more outside of the organizations that I'm in as well, just to get different perspectives and a bit of guidance and inspiration. Um, So it's probably becoming more coaching than mentoring over time for me uh, or receiving coaching more than mentoring. But I think both are really, really important. And I think everyone can really be a mentor to all of their peers.
0: Absolutely. I like the fact that you purposely and intentionally went out to look, you know, for for a network and even outside of your current environment, because that kind of removes biasing you know at the same time Rafa and gives you perhaps a a different fresh you know perspective so uh, I really enjoy that um obviously you know in the purpose in the world of talent here Raf you know no company can grow without great talent uh I'd love to get your thoughts on how you would identify good talent in today's market.
1: That's a loaded question. Um very loaded
0: question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah I think uh, to start with, the boring answer of it depends. Uh, it does really much, very much depend on like what good looks like for you. Like if you're like in my case, if I'm trying to hire someone, like what what good talent looks like depends on the role I'm trying to hire for and into which organization. Um, I'd say like what, what might be more like I'm going to speak from my experience in my current situation. Mostly, it's not necessarily universal, but I think a hunger to have an impact might be the first thing that I would think of. Um, just not only wanting to just like do a job, but actually move the needle a little bit. I think that's a good indicator at like pretty much any level of experience for someone who's probably going to be a valuable person add to your team. Um, I guess this is very startup specific, but as I said earlier, that ambiguity of being in a startup, you need someone who is comfortable with, you know, say the mess, you know, in air quotes, uh, someone who looks at a mess and is like, "I want I want to make this better as opposed to running away from it. Uh, again that is pretty universal like across all levels you you kind of need that so i would look out for that um, when when meeting people like someone who's really runs towards the fire (laughs) and not away from it um yeah and just a desire to learn and in the process make mistakes and fail um like learning hurts more a lot a lot of the time and um it's not just like i've read this book or done this course like learning really means like running into problems stumbling and then trying it again and again and getting better at it and uh it's not that's not as universal a trait as it maybe should be Uh, but like to me those those things are probably the foundation for any kind of good talent that i would be looking for in any of my teams really but then there's also experience like sometimes you just also need like ambition gets you a long way but you do want someone who has worked on similar kinds of problems before if you want them to hit the ground running quickly. But notice that I'm mentioning this as like third or fourth or something. Like all these other things go first. And, and But then you do need a bit of experience as well for certain kinds of roles. Like you, you can't just talk your way into a job, hopefully.
0: Yeah, and I like that, Raf. And you mentioned obviously, you know, the hunger and, you know, somebody who's wanting to lean forward in a, a messy situation. And I, I know sometimes you just know, right? But is there any particular aspect that you're able to qualify that person on like would you do certain situations perhaps or is there kind of any questions to kind of probe or or a simple case of you you just know
1: well i don't think you just know um the the way i would look for you're, you're asking like how would i notice this in a candidate say um well one is dig into their experience like have they can they think of and describe and talk about situations that were like that um, that usually surfaces a lot of it and it doesn't even have to be directly in the job could have been you know like uh, like what I, when I said earlier I, I took that little break uh, when I was at the university and like I, I spent a lot of that time with a band um, like playing music which in a lot of ways, uh, even though obviously it's a very different kind of enterprise than like a a, soft, a SaaS business would be um, didn't have a lot of ambiguity required a bunch of leadership required a bunch of like, you know, traits that are not necessarily just like being a software engineer. Uh, So I I try to dig into people's experiences, but I guess as a candidate, you need to be able to think of such situations as well and like talk about them in a way that is convincing. But there is also a little bit of just, how do you test for this in an interview? Um, We like at Nori, when we give engineers um, a a technical challenge, it's usually a bit open-ended. There is a little bit of ambiguity in the challenge itself. And that can often serve as a good signal for how well people can deal with that kind of open-endedness of, of a task. Um, so we get a bit of signal from that. And then you see it when people are actually on the ground on your team, like it, it comes up pretty pretty clearly how comfortable someone is with those types of situations too. So hopefully at that point, you can kind of manage it.
0: Ralph. and then let's, let's talk about retention, which is obviously extremely important once you've actually went to the effort of attaining you know the talent on board in your experience Raph, what do companies do good in order to retain talent in their business
1: what do they do good well i can tell you what has worked well in my experience um I'm not trying to speak on behalf of everyone um i think giving giving people like that empowerment that i mentioned earlier that i experienced at intercom that trust as shocking it might be if you weren't used to it is actually incredibly motivating because you see a direct line between the things you're doing and you know some result for the business and for the team um, i think that's a really strong motivator and um my experience has been that when i was on projects at kind of any of my roles that where i didn't see that connection it, it felt like just doing busy work or being a little cog in a big machine and not really knowing what was going on those are what usually drove me away from projects. I think, I know there's many other factors, right? Like there's there's a lot of reasons why people might leave a team or a project. But for me, it's always been about the purpose of like, what am I doing? What is my function here? And how am I helping to move the needle? As long as you can see that, and um, people can see that, I think there's a pretty good chance that they're gonna stick around.
0: meaningful purpose in any working environment, RAF is an absolute key indicator and driver of performance and also uh retention so absolutely echo that raf um what would you say in your opinion is a is a a current challenge that the industry currently faces
1: this might be an answer that pretty much everyone would give um but i'm obviously thinking about ai which is like the big new thing the big curveball we've all been thrown of like recent, maybe not even so recent anymore advances in, you know, generative AI and large language models. Um, I think the challenge that I think of here is not even so much the, how do I learn or apply AI? It's actually like, how do I make sense of this hype that's currently surrounding it? Because everywhere you look, there's some expert trying to tell you like how to use it, what to do with it, why it matters. Um, But it is that like, it's really a a lot of hype in there. And it's really difficult to kind of tease that apart. So I think something like I, I'm doing, and I would suggest everyone try to do is like, try to really dig into it, into the subject matter a little bit yourself and figure out, is this something that I should care about or that applies to me right now? Because I think it's uncontroversial that I, AI is heading places now that are gonna be really uh, revolutionary, but it's not quite there yet for everyone yet. So uh, it's not a bandwagon you might have to jump onto it. It might actually be wrong for you to do that now and invest a bunch of like energy and resources in the wrong thing. So I think the the hype is pretty dangerous. And I would, I guess, the way, like, how to overcome it, do a bit of research. (laughs) Don't just trust the LinkedIn influencers uh, to tell you what to do, right? Like, do the work.
0: I think there's definitely a lot of noise, Raph, as you mentioned. It's about not letting it get to you and, yeah, do do your research. But I think, you know, it's definitely going to be a different landscape, you know, perhaps the next two what one year to two years and, and certainly the future. Um, Raf. And I suppose for likes yourself and, and even Nori. I mean, how, how are you embracing uh the world of AI?
1: Well thankfully we've always had like a bit of like AI and machine learning in our in our stack. So it's not something that is shocking us or surprising us. We've always been thinking about it and it's always been on our minds. Um we are obviously like trying to think about like the advances that are happening, like how could we benefit from them? Right. Could they accelerate something we were always going to do? Um, but it hasn't really changed our strategy entirely. Like it, Nori is very much about helping businesses make intelligent decisions with their data. And, uh, I think we're like, so largely on track for doing those things. And what has recently come out of the AI world, um, in my opinion, has a lot of advanced, a lot of advantages around like the human interface. To software stacks, like that, that fluent human language interface that say the chat GPTs give you, and being able to, um, I guess, process and like make sense of a lot of data and, and complex situations with that is extremely valuable. Um, but isn't necessarily like the kind of interface that we were currently looking to use. So it's not something we're just going to apply. Like a lot of a lot of software is now slapping ChatGPT chat onto their product and then kind of like marketing that as, hey, you can now type queries into this box and stuff is going to happen. And with you know more or less success, in some cases, it's amazing. Um, we're, we're trying to resist the urge to just do that same thing. And instead we're thinking a bit more behind the scenes so we want it to be, uh, especially in we you want it to get out of the way more than anything else and just like point in the right direction. And that doesn't necessarily need a text box where you enter things. So our situation is slightly different.
0: Hey, Ralph. And Ralph, what would be the best bit of advice that you give to any aspiring technologist in today's world
1: aspiring technologists um i would say um learn learn the foundations um it's very easy and um, i was talking about college earlier right like it, that how it doesn't really reflect the real world but i think there's a lot of people coming in from non-traditional backgrounds into software engineering things like boot camps and whatever those are and those are fantastic to really get you up to speed um however like there are foundations like very deep foundations on which a lot of the stuff we do and learn kind of rest. And I've found that understanding those, even if you're not going to be applying them all the time, I think is incredibly valuable to really understand and and work with these, this towering stack of technology we're all dealing with every day. Um, So even like get an Arduino or a Raspberry Pi or something and start plugging wires, try to understand how a microcontroller works, right? Even if it's just like a hobbyist little toy, you're going to learn so much and realize how similar things are at the hardware level to maybe at the JavaScript level, which you would have never realized, you know. But I think like really really shining a, shining a light on like the various layers deep in the stack that you might not necessarily always care about is really gonna help everyone be more effective at the top of the stack as well.
0: Yeah, I'll give that, that overall holistic view of the whole process. Um, and yeah, I suppose kind of tinkering away at different pieces, uh, rough, definitely, definitely helps. Um, and equips you with more information. Uh, so I, I like that. And, and I guess, Ralph, to kind of close, wrap things up here, um, if you had a big choice or an audio that's had a profound impact on your career, what would that be and why?
1: There's probably a few. Um, okay. There's probably a few. I don't know if I can name more than one, but like <laughs> um, something that comes to mind and I've actually been engaging with recently again um, is an author called Kent Beck. He's kind of the creator of extreme programming back in the 90s. And he was still very active. Like, that's like a newsletter and he's releasing a new book and everything. That's why, I mean, I was thinking of it re- recently. Um, but he has two very, um, I guess, um, classic books called um, Test-Driven Development and Extreme Programming. And I did read those like a long time ago. And what I, what I got out of those wasn't even just like an understanding of those processes and whatever, but it was actually, there's a lot of wisdom in those books around Learning and being pragmatic, and you know, applying judgment in ways that might not be obvious from the title. Like, uh, so I, it's definitely worth reading. I think if I was to recommend that to anyone, even if you're not practicing extreme programming every day, it's good to know where those things come from. Actually, a lot of us nowadays have an RCVs. We do TDD. Like people throw that word around. A lot of them don't really know where it comes from, what it at least initially meant. So similar in a similar vein to what I said about understanding the fundamentals. Like if you're working on an agile team or you want to join one, go to the roots. Like re- read the books where this stuff came from and and try to understand how that connects to today. It doesn't always all apply, but there's a lot of wisdom in there that
0: it's easy to miss. Yeah, and you know what? I think what's come from this episode, rough is just the curiosity, and and the why, isn't it?
1: Definitely. Yes. Yes. It's something I would probably like, it's a bit of a mantra of mine as well. Like people will hear me say that a lot to think about the why ask about the why just asking that question, why it can be annoying in the moment, but I find it's like one of the simplest, most powerful things that you can do and at work a lot of the time, like it should, hopefully it's safe to ask why in a lot of situations, but it's always worth doing in my
0: opinion. Absolutely Ralph. I love that. Rafa, listen, this has been a really good uh, conversation. Just want to thank you for your time and for sharing your journey.
1: Oh, no problem at all. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Brilliant. And Rafa, if people want to find out a bit more about the likes of yourself and the great work that Nori are doing, where could they go about doing this? Um, I would
1: like to give you all these social media addresses, (laughs) uh, but I've actually kind of just like stopped using social media because it was becoming a bit of a distraction to me. So you're probably, you might, you're not going to find me on like the Twitter or X or whatever nowadays, but um, where you will probably find me is LinkedIn. Uh, So if you just look up my name, you'll find me there. Um, Nori has a website, nori.ai, nori with a Y, by the way um that's probably the first place to go if you want to know more about the product or, or if you're interested in like joining our team like we have a little careers page there and you can send an email straight to me that way so happy to chat if you're interested
0: and digital digital detox uh, as well raf so i'll uh, i'll plug these on the show notes and um yeah listen thanks so much raf this has been a great conversation
1: thank you very much Stephen.
0: lovely